sifter.com.au. Hey, and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. Mainstream is Sifter's review podcast where the team at sifter.com.au discuss their experiences playing a variety of games. My name is Gianni, and my co-hosts on this episode are Adam Christo. Hey. And Mitch Lowe. G'day. Hey, Gianni. I loved Overwatch 1, so I'm very keen to talk about the second one. Yes, well, as you heard, Overwatch 2 is here. The follow-up to the team-based shooter from Blizzard aims to reinvent the game. We're going to jump into our first impressions on this live service game, which is likely to evolve a lot over the course of its life. But before we get into that conversation, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Sifter's news podcast, Walkthrough. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. So Adam, what is Overwatch 2? Overwatch 2 is the long-awaited sequel to Activision Blizzard's uh, much-celebrated and super-successful competitive team-based shooter, Overwatch. Overwatch came out in 2016 and brought in some of the best elements of some competitive shooters that were already on the market, like Team Fortress 2, um, that saw a variety of very colorful and exciting dynamic hero characters fighting in 6v6 combat battles. Uh, You know... um, you know, character design was really bold, really fresh. That's what drew me into this game. I don't normally play these sorts of games, but I ended up putting 400 hours into Overwatch 1. Um, Overwatch 2 um, was announced a few years ago as a straight-up sequel that originally was planned to sit alongside Overwatch 1 and would be able to have multiplayer um, interlinking with Overwatch 1, um, but would be bringing a big single-player campaign and lots more co-op elements to the board. That hasn't quite emerged so far. Overwatch 2 launches today in free-to-play, uh, in a free-to-play model, which is brand new for the game. Uh, you don't have to pay to play this game. There is a battle pass model that has been woven into it as well. And at the same time, Overwatch 1 has been shuttered down. This is replacing Overwatch 1, and now all of Overwatch is sitting within Overwatch 2. Um, so the, the original promise of Overwatch 1 and Overwatch 2 kind of sitting alongside each other has kind of, kind of wrapped up a while ago. And this is an early access version of Overwatch 2 as well. So they're still actively developing Overwatch 2 and are promising to bring in some of the things that are missing right now. Those, um, those cooperative and single player elements are due to come in in 2023. Now, Mitch, you played a lot of the first game, probably more than anyone else I know. Can you tell me what is your relationship with this series? I'm a really visual person. Like, if a game doesn't appeal to me visually, it's a big part of how it works for my brain. And I found that a lot of first-person shooters that came before Overwatch, I couldn't really see. I, I, it's a really difficult to thing to describe, but I like Team Fortress, Call of Duty, even though they have different art styles, like, I just couldn't really interact with them. My eyes, it just didn't work for me. But Overwatch is one of the first ones um, to really get my attention. I could really distinguish what's on screen, what's happening, and it and the characters really worked for me. I think almost every single character is brilliant to look at. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where my love for it began. I met a lot. It was the first place I actually met online friends, and I still talk to it to this day. Um, I liked that about it. I know online gaming is a bit toxic at times, but... 
um, I've met people that I still talk to today on Overwatch. So that is why I like it so much. So, you know, Overwatch was really the hero of the old loot box model. It really did it almost, you know, the main part of what it was, was collecting different skins and everything like that. Um, this game has changed a lot of the way that that progression and unlockables work. Um, Adam, can you kind of explain what they've done to change uh, the way that you kind of progress in this game and, you know, how you feel about the changes they've made? Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with the the first thing, which is with Overwatch 1, I never really felt the draw to massively engage with the loot box economy in that game. I am the sort of person that like dumped 400 hours into that game and had a blast in competitive and particularly playing supports in competitive and trying to climb. And so skins and some of the kind of progression-based systems there just had no appeal to me and I never engaged with them. Um, but what we've got here in, in Overwatch 2 is a free-to-play model um, we're moving into a battle pass type system, which you may have experienced in other games like Fortnite or pretty much every live service game in recent memory. Destiny 2 is what I'm going to draw comparisons to because that's really the other big battle pass game that I've had much experience with in that there is a free tier of various cosmetics and rewards that you unlock by earning experience. And there is also a paid uh, boost that you can get. Uh, by buying a battle pass, which increases the amount of XP that you're earning towards your seasonal um, sort of unlocks. Um, and, you know, there is a, a cash shop now that didn't exist previously as well. So you can um, buy coins, Overwatch coins in the cash shop. I think you can earn a very limited amount of those coins per week, and it's not much at all. Um, and on top of that, um, there are a bunch of cosmetics that were in Overwatch 1 that have now been locked behind the cash shop um, in different interesting ways. Um, and the battle pass is a little bit of a slow process to unlock. A lot of the bulk of your experience is going to come from doing daily challenges and weekly challenges. And those challenges can be just like queue up into any match using this particular role or, um, you know, play three matches or wave at someone in a match. Um, there's a variety of different things that you can do, but as you do them, you unlock but batches of experience basically that go towards unlocking uh, your rewards. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about one of the new heroes, um, Kiriko being um, tied to the battle pass. If you don't own Overwatch 1 or don't buy the kind of starter pack for Overwatch 2, then you are basically waiting until you get to rank 55 uh, to, to unlock her. And, you know, I have been no lifing this game since it came out yesterday and I am only at rank nine. So, Experience is pretty slow, um, but once again, that's not my draw with this sort of game. So for me, I kind of it has no bearing on my experience. What I'm really enjoying is that immediate dive back into competitive play and just how much fun I'm having playing with randoms and teams and and just feeling my way through the game again. So all this microtransactiony stuff is happening in the background, but as far as I'm concerned, a really solid, super fun. Um, competitive 5v5 game is now available as free to play um and what you know that just opens the audience up a lot more and allows a lot more people to play a very fun game and i think you can enjoy this game without engaging with any of the weird transaction stuff do you really need those skins that's that's the question i always ask i'm just not one of those people that wants to collect everything so it doesn't scratch that itch for me at all but that being said you know 
previously every new hero that would come out in Overwatch 1 would have been accessible to everyone when it comes out. Of course, it's limited. There's one per team um, each time you go around. But, you know, there wasn't a gate before. So it really feels to me, and my major criticism of what this is, is it by locking some of those characters to level 55, which if you play religiously as you have been done, that's probably going to take you more than a week or so, maybe more than that while the time you work through all those different challenges and things like that, um, really creates like separate, you know, play styles. It locks you out of that new character. While there are a couple of new characters that have opened to everyone, uh, you know, uh, Sojourn, uh, Junker Queen, um, you know, they've become available so that everyone can access this character. The fact that they've kind of pushed you towards either, you know, paying for the battle pass and unlocking that character straight away or grinding for ages, which will make you feel like, man, I'm missing out on part of the experience of playing this new character, really feels like a kind of predatory dark pattern to me. And I think you can see very clearly that the intentionality behind the way that they've changed this game and some of the motivations they have to kind of change the progression in this game really wants you to buy that battle pass. And it doesn't feel great. It really feels bad. Oh yeah, it straight up sucks. Um, but that being said, I think it's a model that like we are just used to now in a lot of these live service games. I mean, like, I don't think anyone's ever complained that much that League of Legends gates new heroes behind like progress and various other things before you can start playing them. Um, MOBAs have been doing that for a long time. You know, there's a lot of other team-based games or hero-based games that have always kind of, you know, locked particular characters behind progression not just cosmetics um so it's you know it's it's not great going from overwatch one which was really like you buy this thing once and it's feature complete and you're going to get everything with it to this new model that's sort of changed um but at the end of the day i think it in terms of being like hyper predatory i think i I think I hate this a little bit less than encouraging people to do gambling loot boxes over and over and over again. I, I I feel like I hate gambling loot boxes way more than I hate a battle pass system. Even if a battle pass system is trying to eat your time, at least feels a little bit less gross than getting people to partake in what feels like real full-on gambling and explosive loot boxes opening up with flashy effects. That kind of makes me really icky um, and in a really uncomfortable way. So... Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I, it's 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 a hard one, but I feel like I've definitely seen games that are way more predatory than what's on offer here. It's definitely a step in a different direction for Overwatch, but I think it's just stepping it towards where these games kind of live in this space now. Um, Mitch, you collected hundreds of loot boxes uh, throughout your time playing Overwatch. Most of them remained unopened by the end of the first game. Um, can you tell me how do you feel about this new new system of progression well i got everything i wanted out of the first overwatch visually anyway like cosmetic wise like all my favorite skins uh or i already have them so i'm not really sure the the character thing kind of irks me but it's become free to play so i mean that the affordances you get with free to play that's just what happens like you know mechanics are locked out when you know the barrier for entry is literally owning a computer um, what I think we should address is the um, the phone number thing, um, which we haven't talked about yet, which is um, people with prepaid cell phone numbers or mobile phone numbers uh, are finding themselves locked out of Overwatch because Overwatch or Blizzard doesn't see them as uh, legitimate ways to verify um, your account. So that becomes a problem when, you know, prepaid numbers usually are an indication of like, you know, like a economic status, like people that have prepaid numbers 
like, you know, they can't afford to get something on a plan or maybe it's just, you know, people that a plan doesn't really work out for them and they're pretty much locking dedicated players that have played for years out of the game because of this seemingly arbitrary thing, which is a little, that is the bad taste in my mouth uh, in terms of where that's coming yeah, from. Yeah, I want to agree um, with that. There's like a real kind of class-based kind of grossness around locking people out who can't afford um, or are on like prepaid plans from being able to access this game. They have rolled that back, but only for people that had been previously playing Overwatch 1 um, and had logged in within like since June 2021. But that still locks out a whole bunch of potential new players from being able to experience this game in the US territories unless they have... Um, a, a phone number that Blizzard deems acceptable for them to register to their Battle.net account. So I feel like that's kind of gross. That's not really great. I hope they kind of look at that policy even more. Um, you know, the other concerns I have about this game are is its community is still really, really toxic. And it's nice to see uh, Blizzard saying that they're going to support LGBTQ players and creators in this space, whether or not and how they do that, I don't know. Um, I can't help but think that some of the most popular people on Twitch right now who are very problematic in that space all started off as Overwatch streamers. The amount of like, um, just kind of like not great language and uh, kind of crap behavior I've already experienced on my end just playing for eight hours has not been fun either. Um, so, you know, I think that there's still like a cultural issue thing here with um, Blizzard's online games. And I feel like it's still not quite there yet. And, you know, this is a problem. This is a company that is struggling with its own internal issues of culture and looking after its employees and um, respecting its employees as well. So it kind of doesn't surprise me that like the fan base and then the playing experience can be so toxic. I hope they improve it. I used to find when playing Overwatch, the original Overwatch, that the console community was far more agreeable than the PC community. I think like the in, in terms of the sense that like a lot of like the thank you emote is used a lot more <laughs> on consoles. And I'm not sure whether that's like a symptom of not having comms openly available but on console you can turn that on you can just turn your microphone on so it's not like it i guess like maybe the keyboard is not as accessible i don't know that could be a contribution but i always found that the console part of overwatch would generally better behave than like a lot more agreeable that could be just an outlier for me though how does the game play for you for me jumping back into it it felt very samey um you know like a new mode had been introduced to the game it didn't feel dramatically different apart from the slight reduction in number of players you could play as in a team but how about you that experience of, of jumping back into this game it's pretty much the same to be honest with you i haven't actually played the new hero yet um actually I was about to mention that the new hero actually isn't available for me. I'm not actually sure why. I played Overwatch 1. Um, I don't know whether I ticked the wrong box, but I uh, haven't played her yet. But um, I had a game as my favorite hero, Sombra, um, and I went no deaths, 14 kills, and we won. So it hasn't really changed that much because she's still great. And uh, apparently so am I. So, yeah. Yeah, look, on, on my end, I think all the changes are fantastic. Uh Taking down the amount of tank-based characters from two in a team to one in a team is kind of really dramatic once you start dipping in a bit of time. Um, you know, you no longer have an off-tank role. Your tank is 
it's doing everything essentially. And it requires um, your tank to be a lot more on the ball and to really create space so that you can push forward, um, which I really enjoy a lot. And it also means that like every other player on the team has to be a lot more mindful of their positioning and what they're doing and are really accountable just a little bit more for dying in, in a way that didn't quite happen in Overwatch 1 uh, that I really appreciate. Um, there's been a across-the-board change to the DPS classes where they all have a passive speed boost and they all get a speed and uh, reload boost when they kill enemies as well, which I think just kind of creates a bit more dy- dynamism in the action too and once again it's that sort of ratcheting up of the energy from where it was with overwatch one it's a lot more of an active game now than passive less hiding behind shields more everyone kind of moving in a bit and you having to be really aware of what you're doing um all the healers now uh have passive regeneration and mercy used to always have that so her regeneration has been buffed and is more than the others and that's quite nice too because with everyone moving around a bit faster um healers are now a little bit more self-sustainable they have a bit more survivability and it's it's an interesting change to say the least so i'm I'm, i think it's really exciting like um i'm excited to kind of get better again (laughs) relearn how to aim um because i think that there is so much more room now for interesting um kind of combat encounters it feels like everyone's a lot more active in fights too um yeah, I think I think all of the balance changes that they've made on their end, the hero tweaks too, have all been really exciting so far. So it, it has me in high hopes for for like playing this game and enjoying it. I'm like back on board in a way that I wasn't anticipating because I haven't thought about this game in about four years. We're in this together. Die, all of us. Die, die. I really like it. It does feel very similar to the experience Mitch and I used to play a lot of this game. We played a lot of it on stream. Um, you know, you know, I spent a long time playing this on a variety of different platforms. So it does feel very similar, very like comfortable place to be. Um, but what I was really looking forward to for this sequel was something that they promised was more PVE, more single player or uh, AI-based uh, story content. That was my favorite bit of the original game um, during the archives sort of seasonal event that they have. They used to have like a little PVE mode that you could play and that's been, you know, shelved for the moment. It's promised for next year, but I just can't help but feel with the prioritization they've got of this new battle pass and all of those, um, you know, models they put in there. If it ends up getting canceled, I wouldn't be surprised because it really seems like they've changed their their tack to go all in on this. So, but at the moment, it's a lot of fun. So, I think it's one that, and you know, the cost of entry is as low as it can be uh, for any of these sorts of games. So, and you can play it on on just about everything. Any final thoughts? I miss the um, at the end of the game. They seem to have removed the individual acolytes for yourself, um, like things like uh, things like your amount of amount of kills you got. Um, I had to get that screenshot of my Sombra performance actually in uh, yesterday. I needed to scroll through like a bunch of different menus to find it. Um, that was kind of disappointing. I think on an individual basis, it's good to see like, you know, a little bit of a, like how many kills you got, how much healing you did. I don't know why they got rid of that. It's really confusing to me. Like at the end of the game, like all you get is your battle pass progression. That's it. Like the, I, And then that's not relevant to like half the people because I know most most of the players haven't bought it 
I'll just quickly mention that uh, there's now a scoreboard, if you hit tab, which didn't exist before, that has all of those stats updating as you're playing. But if you go back into your career progression after you finish a match, you can go back and look at specific matches and get your stats for each match and then also watch a replay of it and can swap between different perspectives in that match as well. So I actually really like a lot of the, the kind of tweaks that they've done there. I would like to see that kind of old accolade thing come up rather than the endorsement screen that we used to get. But I think moving away from metal is is a bit of a is a plus for me because i think they weren't really accurate to your performance at the end of the day like when you were looking and seeing about how you actually went in a match it's kind of like sometimes you got mo- you got medals as a healer and it was like well i wasn't really doing much other than just like dumping heals into this tank and i could have done other things so i i appreciate the change it's it's nice to see when the moira on your team has gotten 21 kills and you're just like how Oh, wait, she's getting chip damage from that ball that keeps flying by. Um, But it's cool to see. And I do think it's worth mentioning that Activision Blizzard is a deeply problematic company that are working through a lot of issues at the moment. Um, And, you know, be skeptical. I think that's a really good point to make about this company, um, about, um, you know, a lot of the issues that they have when Overwatch released. Uh, Overwatch 2 released yesterday, we found out that Blizzard and Activision were actively working in union busting and trying to stop employees that were trying to uh, organize unions from getting pay rises. So just be aware that this is the company that is running this game. I think there is valid reasons for not playing this game if you feel uncomfortable by that. But at the same time, some of the people that are working on this game are probably um, pushing for change within their company. And sometimes boycotts don't make a big difference. I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I mean. Well, that's Overwatch 2. It is by Blizzard Entertainment. It's out on the Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, Windows and uh, Xbox One and Series X and S. This is Mainstream. This has been Mainstream Sifters Review Podcast. My name is Gianni. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the Mainstream theme music. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Kyle Paletto, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou, and Mitchell Lowe join me on this episode. And my name is Gianni DiGiovanni. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifters 3 Podcasts. And if you want to find out more about what we're doing, head to our website, sifter.com.au, where you can get all the cool stuff that we're up to, listen to some of our other podcasts all there online. And if you want to help us out, you can always share the show with your friends. If you think we're doing a cool job, if you like our conversations about games, then tell your friends. That's the best thing you can do. And it doesn't cost a thing. Until next time. Have fun.